Dave, right? Dave. Hi, Dave. I'm Mike. This is the Bearded Carcast, episode 19. This is our first one since our uh, fourth annual Final Four preview. What a Final Four. What a Final Four was. Terrific. <laughs> I mean, it was terrific. The Duke Carolina game was as good as you could possibly ask for. No doubt about it. I am Mike Pacheco. He's Dave Freeman. This is the Bearded Carcast. Glad you're joining us here. One of our um, sprinkled through uh, off-season editions of the Bearded Carcast. Everybody knows the premise. We record a lot of these during the basketball season when we're on the road with winter basketball, and then during the year we just, you know, when we have something to talk about, we do it. Uh, every now and then, uh, we get organized for the NFL season and <laughs> do one right. once a week, once or twice a week. Uh, but we've, we've been busy. We've been traveling. Uh, I was in Boston a couple weeks ago, uh, spring break. Got there the day of the marathon, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Dave went to the Kentucky Derby and last the week and the Final Four. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we got plenty to talk about here on the Bearded Car Class. We're glad you're joining us. You can email us, beardedcarcast at outlook.com is uh, always how you can get a hold of us. And, of course, on Twitter at Bearded Carcast. I'm having a one of those nothing seems to be perfectly right kind of three or four days here. I went to vote today. Oh, nice. Early voting. I'm do that tomorrow. And they gave me a pen. Did you get and a sticker? I'm showing you the pen now. I got a sticker as well. But the pen says, I voted in the 2020 <laughs> election. Well, we now know our picture for the, uh, for the podcast. <laughs> well, yeah, then away. I was at the Kentucky Derby, yeah. and I bought my wife a T-shirt on Thursday, a couple of days before the, uh, the race was run, and the shirt I selected has all of the entrance all the post positions in the horse's name and the winning horse wasn't there oh because on thursday and whenever they printed the t-shirts that horse wasn't also eligible Mm. and then number 21 at 80 to 1 won the kentucky derby did you have any uh rubles on that shekels i had lots of rubles just not on that one (laughs) yeah yeah if if epicenter won if zandon won if table won if messier won it was going to be a really really good couple of days and and rich strike won that the best that i've heard and i've read a lot about this and kind of researched it in the last several days the best analogy that i've heard is it's john daly winning the pga Mm. in whatever year that was 1991 or something as the sixth alternate you don't even know you're playing in the tournament and you're a you're a a a no name at that juncture in his career and and you you win i mean the, the odds were 80 to 1. Mike, if you had said, you know, uh, I'll give you 400 to 1 on Rich Strike, I would have said, uh, I'll save the dollar. I'll save the $2. It, it, it's not worth it. There's there's nothing a handicapper could possibly look at and, and suggest that this horse has any opportunity to win the race. But I have a lot of friends and colleagues. I saw Pat Forty after the race. I was hanging out with Joe Drape after the race. And, and everyone's kind of like shaking their head because everybody had their money elsewhere and and the bottom line is for those guys writing and even just to be there watching those are the stories that make sports great absolutely it's that cinderella actually has an opportunity put the horse in the race maybe it's only one out of a hundred one out of 150 right they've run the Mm -hmm. kentucky derby since 1875 there have only been one horse prior to this one to, to score at this larger price but once every 50, 75 years, something crazy like this happens, and, and it's just, it's a magical. Well, it, it's fun, and it makes it interesting, and it's its a feel-good story, because who doesn't in America like the underdog? Right. I mean, the jockey was essentially 
a Big South team (laughs) winning the national title. I mean, the jockey was running at minor league tracks. And like the day before the Derby was at a track that no one's ever heard of, ever been to or ever bet and was 0 for 5. He hadn't ridden a winner in over a week. He had never ridden a graded stakes winner. And he was insanely good. He didn't get lucky. He was tremendous. The trainer had his barn burned down six years ago. He's a total nobody. This is a Sean McDonough story waiting to happen. I I mean, (laughs) it it is one of those great sports stories that you can't make up. If you make them up. It's kind of like Coastal winning the baseball championship. Exactly. Right. Or or John Daly. I mean, it's totally out of left field impossible. But that's what keeps you coming back no no doubt about it that was a lot of fun and, you know it's good for horse racing right because it gets a lot of juice back into the sport uh, especially on the heels of you know bob bafford and the suspension and he wasn't really involved this year right horse racing has a way of kicking themselves in the backside and to have a, a good story with characters that you can get behind yeah. is certainly a good thing and you know we're, we're taping this this podcast at the Knight Stadium. Yep, we're at Truist Field. Truist Field. In uptown Charlotte, North Carolina. And, and it's a beautiful day, and it's a fantastic facility. And, and the problem with baseball, or one of the problems with baseball recently has been how long the games are. And, and that's the magical horse racing. The race only takes two minutes. Now, the lead-up can get a little bit long in the tooth, but you can bet on horses from different tracks. You can have action every 15 or 30 minutes. But you've been telling me that you're seeing a dramatic improvement here in the the pace of the game and the speed of the games. Well, I know, and let me start out with the with the disclaimer that I know that some of the players don't like it because it's taking them out of their routine, so it's it's make it's a change. People don't like change, especially when they've been ingrained in this change. So having said that, I apologize to the players. This is fantastic. <laughs> this is outstanding for anybody that watches games. I, I think our fans have been more entertained. Last night we had a, a Knights lost fifteen to, or this was uh, Tuesday night, fifteen to three, sixteen hits for Indianapolis Knights. I think had six or seven. They had three runs. Uh, Knights walked nine batters. So fifteen to three, over twenty two, twenty three hits, and I think the Knights walked five or six, so four or five times. The hitters did. So we're talking about fourteen or fifteen walks. That was a two hour and thirty eight minute game. How is that possible? That would have been at least a three hour and fifteen minute game. How is that possible? Well, it's so the the pitch clock rule basically is uh, the pitcher has 14 seconds to get the ball to the plate. When, when there's a runner on base, it's 19 seconds. Hitter has to be, I think, ready to go with nine seconds to go. You can step out for a few seconds, but you got to be ready to go. Now, the penalty is if it's the pitcher's fault that the clock goes too long, the hitter is awarded a ball. If it's the batter that takes too much time, the pitcher is awarded a strike. And it's being enforced. And it's being enforced. There's, um, They actually have, um, both dugouts have uh, iPads, so they can look at, um, you know, they can kind of see what how the ABS is working that night. So, you know, they can kind of get a, the hitters can get a mix. And ABS is? Automatic balls and strikes. So there's no umpire calling balls and strikes. No, so unless, both, unless the technology fails and then it is in the hands of the umpire. But there's both but, a pitch clock and a, a robot, a computer. Right. Now, that's only, I think in the International League East, it's only in Charlotte. I think in some of the other International League West team. No, I think it's it's going to go to the, the rest of the league, I think, sometime later in the summer, potentially. And then it's in the Pacific Coast League. But Charlotte is the only team, I think, in the International League, or at least in the International League East, that has it. And you're seeing the combination of the pitch clock and what ABS 
making this huge improvement. Now, but even when the Knights have been on the road and there's no ABS, the games are still tracking at about 230, 240. Wow, incredible. I think now, Matt said last night on our broadcast, on Tuesday night on our broadcast, uh, I think it's 22 or 23 straight games the Knights have played without getting over three hours. And, and, and they've had a couple of extra inning games there, too. the time you've been doing this for 10 years or however long it's been, there's never been a string that long of games under three hours. No, and last night's game, uh, towards the end, when, when the game got away, because the, the Indians hit a, uh, a a second grand slam in the game, and then it felt like a four-hour game, even though it was still pacing at a, at a good... But you were out of here by 9.45 but, or something. But that's not the point. The point is... When you're when you're calling the action, it's it's it's. I think even we're better. It's making us better because we're in rhythm. Because you know sometimes if you've got thirty seconds, forty seconds. So is there any reason between, to believe the major leagues can't do the same thing? No. Well, that's the, the the obviously that's something that has to get worked out. But I think the plan is either next year or the year after, and that's why they're doing it now here in AAA, so that the players getting called up this year, next year down the road are are going to be used to it. I'm, but but it, there's no reason it can't be replicated, right? Absolutely. It all does, I mean, really, it's technology, and the, the technology is here. Now, I think there was some issues when it was in the Atlantic League last year. Or sometimes, you know, there was some kinks that had to be worked out. I, I haven't noticed too many problems. Um, there was a pitch in the first homestand um, that um, it looked like it was probably a strike. It was called a ball, and, you know, the, the it went up on Twitter, and people went crazy over it. Look, that's going to happen. It's going to happen with a real Are umpire. there challenges? No. Huh. So but but I think it, here it'd be hard. I think at the big league level, you can institute the challenge a little bit is better. Is it a little bit like um, like tennis, the Hawkeye system, which is never wrong? Like, like well, the players will tell you that, that there are some holes in it, you know, in the strike zone. Um, but basically it's— an, When you say holes, what are the holes? Well, that's still be, to be determined. We're still trying to kind of figure out— um, you know, Some of the players have felt like— some of the high pitches. I think it might even depend on the night. You know, I mean, I, I don't really, I can't claim to be an expert on the technology, so I can't give you a definitive answer. I just know that. I thought you were very good technically. I'm very good technically, but I haven't been, uh, I haven't been briefed or trained on this, uh, huh. ABA, the inner workings of this. Just, just anecdotally from what we've talked to Wes Helms about, uh, the Knights manager and some of the players. Um, but you know, they're they're getting used to it, and so once they're, you know, once they're kind of used to it, I think it'll be a little bit better. I think that is so optimistic. I haven't watched a baseball game all year. I, I used to watch all of the A's games and several other games. And we got the NBA playoffs going on. We got the NHL going on. I was very wrapped up in the Kentucky Derby and the NCAA tournament. And I, I'm really not interested. And I'm I'm ready to just not watch baseball at all. But that is so encouraging. It's a sport I grew up with and loved. If there could be shorter games, games with more action, quicker pace of play, then the only thing to me that then needs to be addressed is, I, I believe I heard this morning, the average major league hitter is batting 233. That That's not good right, enough. Right. That that you, you have to have players hitting, I don't know what the magic number is, 250 or 260. 233 means there are just way too many outs being recorded. There aren't enough base runners. Right, or or you're, you're waiting too much for a, a home run, a strikeout, or a walk. I mean... Right, you know, I mean, was it? The, I think the Dodgers have one of the highest walk rates in the league. They have for the last couple of years. You know, they're really good at taking pitches. And that's part of the game, and that's and that's fair. Um, now, I, I guess the question I would have at the big league level is, you know, we've heard from you know some of the people that we've talked to. I mean, it has really sped up the game on the field. So, you know, is do they tinker with it? Do they, you know, do they make it sixteen seconds and twenty-one seconds? You know, there's. 
and that's, that's just me saying. That's not anybody's I mean, mentioned that. But why wouldn't you tinker with it? See yeah. what the best right. option right. is. Right. I mean, that's why they're using AAA or AA or whatever it is right. a, as a testing ground. So that when it Cause Wes did tell us, I mean, there are times where you know it's like you know you're trying to figure out you know with runners on base, you're trying to figure out the signs, do everything, get the hitter involved, and all of a sudden it's you know the clock's down to three. I think that's you know? a good thing. That means that everyone needs to go a little bit quicker. Yeah. That's like a team running no huddle offense. The defense has to adjust. That they better figure it out. No, but this is as a third base coach. I mean, you're trying to get your offense going too. So I mean, it's it's um you know it's just something that they have to. And the players have told you, us this. They've said that, that they really need this. Is something that they really have to get adjusted to. Wouldn't that be a good thing for baseball if the offense is trying to get coordinated and the defense is allowed to? start the motion and throw the pitch before they can get adjusted? Wouldn't that be a good thing? That would be the defense making the offense push forward yeah. quicker. Well, the, and there's a few other wrinkles, too. Um, for instance, you can throw over twice during an at-bat to, to any base. I'm very interested in. The third time, uh, if you don't record it out, the runner advances a base. And it's, I guess, technically, the scoring, I think, essentially goes in as a box. So my understanding is the anecdotal evidence on that, I think it was from the Atlantic League last year, was stolen bases were way up. Have you seen that? Um, well, not for the the Knights are like second to, to the bottom in, in stolen bases. I wouldn't say... How is I'd that have affecting to, the to, strategy of the game? Um, it, it, varies, it varies by team. Because remember, teams, the stolen bases have... There have been maybe two or three teams consistently every year, maybe not always the same team or organization, sometimes it is, that believe in running and will run in the minor league. So th that's hard to quantify. But if you're I, a tactician, no, we'll say, if, you, if you're a strategic person. But I think, that, let me. I know what you're saying, but I think the way it's going to play out is a little bit how the runner on second base played out the first year that they did that for extra innings, in that teams um, early on, the visiting team was bunting the guy over just trying to play for one run. Then they realize, wait a minute, we're better off playing for real and trying to get two or three, four runs and then you know force the other team as to... So I think the stolen base thing, strategically, like you're talking about, I think that's going to come. That also comes with drafting and personnel. you got to have the right personnel on the bases to, to steal. And, you know, I have... I, I wouldn't say I've seen more people running against the Knights than I have in years past. Interesting, because theoretically, and I think the throwing over was really a, a Tony La Russa thing in the 80s and 90s, right? That That's where it started. Well, remember, it and a couple years ago, they... Step off, throw right. over, right. keep the runner yeah. close, and it really dramatically slowed yeah. down the game. But it did help so that the guy couldn't get that extra step because there were so many tosses to first. Right. When you, when you kind of put it the way it is... If there are a runner on first base and nobody out, and you throw over to first early in the count, now you've only got one more bullet. If you surpass two, you're you're telling the team to take a big lead. But I think the difference is, and I think the reason why it's going to take a full season to figure this out is to go back to what I was talking about. Unless a guy has a green light to do it on his own, yes, yep. The, the speed of the game, I think, is is maybe is not. The, the manager, the third base coaches, whether they're the manager or an actual third base coach, their timing has to get right so that they can kind of incorporate that information. So I think that's something that is going to happen. If it, I mean, it is happening. It's not happening to the extent I think you think it would happen early. Let me ask you this. Please. If the game is moving so quickly that the third base coach is trying to relay things to the hitter and to the runners and, and the pitcher is ready to fire, could it change baseball in the sense that you could have a coach, maybe there's some sort of walkie-talkie system where 
There's one coach signaling to the runner at first and a different coach signaling to the batter, but the two coaches are coordinating their thoughts through a communication device. That's something I think that has to be worked out, but, I mean, the technology is there to do that. And, and that would... Well, remember, in the big leagues, they also, I, I think they're calling it Pitchcom, where the... the um, right. They have the signaling device between the catcher and the pitcher, and I think one or two of the fielders. So no, they know what pitch is coming, but you don't have to actually put right. two or and three. And I think that is actually down. saving time too, because you don't have to go through the sequence of. Well, and that combats all of this stuff all with, the stealing with the Astros, and the yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. right, right, yeah. I mean, it seems to me for the first time in a long, long time. There are some positives to a sport that, at least for me personally, I won't speak for anyone else, I've just lost interest in the product. Well, I think the players, um, you'd like to have the players buy in on this. Again, I think I think they will. They have to. Remember when know. they didn't want a three-point line in basketball? Yeah. Well, it's the same thing. No, it's the same thing. And I think I um, I talked to, to one of our coaches and um, about this because I said, and I, he answered it on the opposite side defensively. Meaning defense, not he wasn't defensive about the question, but he was just saying defense. You know, we'll be ready for it. But but I was what I, what I was trying to get a feel for is can hitters. You know, we always talk about like Tom Glavin and uh, Greg Maddox and how they would get into a rhythm. But can hitters get into a rhythm? I mean, I I, I know, and again, I think because things have slowed down, and, and maybe some of that is like the Tony La Russa thrown over to first, so then the batters feel like they got to do that. Um, you know, maybe there has been too much time in between at bats, and I don't mean that just from a length of uh, pace of play initiative, but maybe speeding up the hitter is a good thing too. Well, I, I think all of it is good. And I think baseball, the, the major leagues taking over the minor leagues and reorganizing and contracting and now being able to set rules and, and being the the big brother, not not having, you know, at one time, Major League Baseball said something, but then it had to be passed down to the International League and maybe or maybe not, they would actually enforce it. Now Major League Baseball is in control of everything. Well, I don't, I don't know that it was as um, bureaucratic as you're making it sound. I mean, I think if the big leagues wanted to do something, they might have to wait for the next round of PDCs to the to player development contracts to work it out. But generally... That's right, though, but now they don't have to do that. They don't have to do that, but I don't know that it was a, a time slog as you might think it was. Well, it, and I will say this. Either way. And, and just talking to some of the operators, I mean, there's... And you're talking about change. I mean, there, there's... Um, you know, there, there, and some operators have been vocal about this, you know, just about that they feel like maybe they've taken the minor leagues a little bit, the minor league operators out of the equation a little bit. And and, and I'm not saying that's a good or a bad I thing. I think the major league teams would suggest that's a good thing. Right. And the operators, and this is more like nitty gritty stuff. Like this is more like who's playing for, who's paying for the baseballs, who's paying for hotel. You know, it's, it's the stuff that the public doesn't really need to see how the sausage is made, but it's inside baseball. Really, really. really yeah. 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 So, I mean, and that's, you know, so that's a, that's a whole nother ball of wax, but um, I think, but I think from the actual on field stuff though, Dave, I don't know that it's, I don't know that the the, ma- the major leagues couldn't incorporate a lot of this stuff quickly anyway. I think it's more the, the nitty-gritty stuff. And but I love that they have data. They can watch mm-hmm. what happens in the minor leagues, and they can make their decisions, and they can tweak, and they can change, and they can be like, here's the data set. This is why we're doing it. This is how it's going on. And I think – but I don't I, I don't think – for the, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to speak for any of the the minor league operators. I mean, I don't think they really care about that stuff. I think they're more concerned on the business side of things, yeah. being told what to do, like as far as, um, you know, the Monday day off. Now, I think the Monday days now, off. Now, with is all a good due thing. respect to the operators, they have no say in it because if the major league team wants to 
moves cities, wants to change rules, there are plenty of cities that are happy to house their AAA or minor right. or double no, A or single but, A baseball team. But you, but you can't also um, stick them in the eye with a uh, poke them in the eye with a stick. Well, it's I mean, not they, a they good to, idea. Well, I mean, they still have. I to, think you actually can, but it's not recommended. Well, yeah, but what good is it if you're if you're if you're you know going to all these little podunk towns because you're worn right. out, you're welcome. I mean, yeah, no and, question. And, and the, on the and the minor operators, I mean, they're here to make money. I no mean, question. So it's a business. It's a business. So I think I think some of the operators would say that they would prefer Major League Baseball. The, the difference between Major League Baseball and the Professional Association of Minor League Baseball, whatever it was called, is that the the old association protected the business interests of the minor league operators, and now they're just being told willy-nilly what to do. And you know, It's fascinating that we have such a system, that the major league team doesn't own the triple-A team and double-A team and single-A team. I mean, Well, it, some do. Like, some, some right. operators have purchased Well, didn't them. the Mets buy the, the Syracuse yeah, they franchise? Bought, right, and um, I think the Phillies have ownership interest in some of the, you know. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, there is, there is some of that. Uh, I think the Braves... Are one of the organizations for a that long own most time. They own yeah a bunch of them. They own if they don't own all. Well, now it's down to four. I mean, you don't have before it was like six or seven. Another great change. Um, it, it it's a great. Ch- I think well, and you and I have our thoughts on college baseball. I, I think the growth of college baseball has helped allow them to do that a little bit too. Definitely because some more players. Some it's players essentially are, being used as a single A type situation, or at least get them ready so that they don't have to spend. You know, some guys might spend two years in Arizona and then go to a low A club. The college guys generally now they might spend part of a season at a at a uh, at a low A club or at a at a short season. Although short seasons don't really exist anymore, they do have the they do exist now, but in the um, kind of the wood bat league. Well, that no, I'm thinking more like um, they still have their like spring training sites, right? So that that still exists, but but essentially, you have a low A, a high A, a double A, and a triple A. Talking about the business of minor league baseball, that is <laughs> that's ratings goal. Ratings goal. No, but it's it. But basically, what they did is they they made what what was like the half season leagues, like the Appalachian League and the the Northwest League, Penn League, the Penn League. Um, what was the, the Great Lake? The um, um, there was another one up in the Midwest. Um, that league, those leagues basically went away, and so now you you do have your, you know, like your Fort Myers team and your Sarasota teams. Like those, those are the ones that are. And the Florida State League kind of still exists, but it, it's it's they really kind of they they reorged it. That change was good. Like how they kind of repositioned some of the teams. I thought made more sense. No, I'm pro change. As much change yeah, as you can I, get is good. It might not all work. It might not all work, but some of it does. And I think the end product is Major League Baseball appears like they are going to have positive changes, quicker games, quicker pace of play, and, and maybe a more compelling product in the not too distant future. Some of us are waiting for that. I think the bigger issue for baseball, though, is um, now we've been people have been crying about this for maybe 30 years so maybe it's maybe it's just fine but i i think the i'm worried about the kids that are under 18 right now uh, kids in my son's age range um i don't think any of his friends his core group of friends play baseball anymore he he doesn't play baseball well, why anymore. would they they're better options I mean, do you want your kid to run out to play left field no, no, to that, stand I'm not arguing with, I'm not arguing that with you what i'm saying is the the pool of players is getting smaller. No question. Other sports are better. They're just better. There's more action. They're more exciting. They're more engaging. They're higher scoring. Like well, and baseball, I think, is starting to go the route of like basketball 
in lacrosse where if you don't if you're not on a travel team by like seven or eight years old the the rec leagues aren't strong anymore so you you know you can't unless you're willing to spend three four five on up thousand dollars to put your kid in one of these academies so I, I think they're kind of shrinking the pool of potential plays now maybe it's still big enough that that's not a problem but it is something that i i worry about and and for me it boils down to this dave it's not that they're not playing baseball necessarily but since they're not playing baseball they're not interested in the professional no side. question so now my son does just you know john still likes baseball i think it's just because he's been around it his whole life and he's around you and he's around me and and you know like we went to Fe- he loved going to fenway park when we were up in boston i know we'll talk about that a little but bit. if if you change the sport and the but, game but, but is let me two put and it this a half way. hours not three and a half yeah. hours if there's more action if the pace of play is better more people are going to be interested in watching. If you take but your kids the, to the game, it's his first ever big league game, and it's a slog. It's three and a half hours. The ball's never in play. I don't know that he's all that interested in coming back. If you're out but there, I, but the I ball's think, being slapped around, and it's exciting. Right, but here's the difference, right? All of my friends, my, my, so uh, I grew up with um, kind of my core group of friends that I'm still friends with from high school. There's five of us. All five of us played baseball up until 13 or 14 um, I think one may may have gone on to to play through through high school. I like I said, um, what John's buddy Connor, he uh, he's not. I don't think he's ever played baseball. Um, a couple of the other kids, I don't think they've ever played baseball. Um, um, it, the kids in the neighborhood, you know, it's so. What I'm saying is, yes, baseball is still being handed down by the parents to their kids. But I think the mo- the less the kids play, the less likely they're going to want to watch a baseball game. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think that is shocking in any way, shape, or form because baseball is boring. The game is too slow. There aren't enough exciting plays. If you filled the game up with exciting plays, turn on an NBA playoff game tonight, tomorrow night. Within the first three minutes of watching, you'll see something outrageous. Turn on a baseball game tonight. Watch three hours. You might at some point during that period of time see something outrageous, but probably not. This is the Bearded CarCast. Mike Pacheco, Dave Friedman, glad you're joining us here at Bearded CarCast. Is how you can follow along on Twitter, BeardedCarCast at Outlook.com if you want to email us. We will check them sporadically, so if you don't hear from us for a few months. Or we're really big. We're right now, especially since our Dave and our, uh, my offseason, Dave's very analytical. Uh, I, I kind of like the marketing side of things. So if you have uh, perhaps a foreign investment where you want to give <laughs> us uh, $20 million on $100 million to hide for you, like you know, or, or we can watch for you while you're out of the country, we're happy to do that as well. So bear to carcast at Outlook.com. So we talked a little about the business and the evolution of baseball. College sports are going through something similar. The Alston case opened up NIL that to some degree is the wild, wild west right now. The transfer portal is wide open. Now, this is not the first time that's been the case, but you and I broadcast Winthrop games. We've been at Winthrop a long time. We are close to the program. This is the first time that Winthrop has really felt it. It was announced Mm -hmm. today that DJ Burns is going to be going to NC State. He entered the portal maybe two weeks ago, something like that, three weeks ago. Um... How do you feel about Winthrop, where college sports are right now, where things are going, yada, yada, yada? Well, I think first it's the great unknown um, still. I mean, I think this is going to take a couple of years. I think we're still waiting to find out exactly 
how the NAL stuff is going to shake out. You know, um, I, I think the rollout of that was so reactionary. And what I mean by that is, um, and, and, and obviously the NCAA has been kind of a mess with all this, losing the court case. So they've, they've tried to kind of have a fine line. It would have been good if there could have been some sort of rollout of rules ahead of time. That's not just, just not the case. So I think the competitive balance thing is going to be an issue. I think what's going to end up happening, Dave, is it's going to be like a hybrid of, I think, and I, I can't tell you what league's on down, but let's just, for the sake of argument, say the, the bottom 15 or 17 leagues, I think, are going to be feeder systems for, you know, kind of the, the, the group of five type schools and the power five schools, um, and maybe even, you know, some of the middle conferences. And I think it's, you just have to be... Um, Do you believe, and... and- I'll speak for myself and not you. I haven't talked or seen DJ Burns since he entered the portal, so I, I have no idea. Maybe you have. Um, do you believe that DJ Burns is transferring because somebody can put dollars in his pocket? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, I, I think it could be that. It could also be that um, people that are in contact with him are giving him those thoughts. I, I, the difference is, right, it's players have a choice now. And uh, at NC State, he's going to have different opportunities. I'm not going to say better. He, I mean, they may be better. They probably are going to be better. He's going to have op- different opportunities at NC State. He started out at Tennessee. He's going to finish his career at a Power 5 school. Maybe um, with the right training, if he if he follows um, strength and conditioning guidelines, nutrition, um, skill development, uh, you know, maybe there's an opportunity um, – you know, I'm not saying definite, but maybe there's an opportunity, and maybe the thought process is maybe that's a better opportunity for him to get uh, maybe a shot at the NBA or a shot at maybe a better professional league overseas. I think maybe that's the bigger part of it. I, see, I think schools like hold on, but I think schools like Winthrop. The problem for schools like Winthrop, um, and it and there may be some some different types of schools that are bigger than Winthrop that'll have this problem depending on their markets and and where they kind of fit in. Um, is how can a school like Winthrop right now, uh, you know, and they've had some issues. Uh, the athletic department has had some issues as far as, um, you know, we've had a bunch of different interim athletic directors. The athletic director's gone. There's been some financial issues with the school. Um, so the leadership there, like how do they fit in in the NIL situation as opposed to big schools that ha- already right. have 40 boosters? Exactly right. I, I, I mean, there's a role. Like Alabama can go a Rolodex of 7,000 7, people probably. It's, it's exactly right. How can you now the the second part of what you said that there are more opportunities for DJ Burns from an NIL standpoint, hundred percent at Tennessee or at NC State, there have to be many, many more opportunities. We saw that with Adonis Arms, yeah. who left Winthrop, went to Texas, Texas Tech, Tech and did have yeah. some he of got those the, like a t-shirt restaurant, I think, got involved with him. Right. And, yeah. Now from a playing in the NBA or overseas standpoint. I've watched just about every minute of the Warriors-Memphis series. The two best players in the series, one went to Davidson and one went to Murray State. I don't think playing at NC State helps you get to the NBA any more than playing at Winthrop does. I think it, well, get, it, gets them, it gets them more reps against higher competition. Well, that's true. That's true. For, so, from that so, standpoint. So you're saying from a development standpoint. Right. But, I mean, he's got to follow through with it, though. I mean, he's got to lose weight. He's got to watch what he eats. He's got to 
put on more muscle, and he's got a um, you know, his skill development has to be there. I'm not saying, I guess, keyword, Dave, opportunity. Well, he's and, got the opportunity to do that. And, and my concern is, how does Winthrop get a player that would otherwise go to? I, I, I'm not expecting Winthrop to out recruit. North Carolina or Duke. That didn't happen in the old system. That's not going to happen in this system. But Winthrop has in the past out-recruited what I would call a mid-major program, a Charlotte, a Davidson, an East Carolina, something along those lines. If those schools now have significant NIL and Winthrop does not, aren't you to some degree a minor league, a feeder system like you said? I think the one thing that separates Winthrop from some schools of the same level, and I think I still think this is important, um, banners. And this is the genius of what Pat Kelsey did is he he took Winthrop, which you know under Randy Peel they'd gone to two championships in about five years, um, but had two straight years. I mean the perception was um, things were going in the wrong direction, and you know I think one of the things that attracted Pat Kelsey to this job was the fact that he could sell a history. So Winthrop. This is the now. This is where Winthrop has to kind of figure out where, and then this is a a thirty forty year problem. This isn't something that just happened overnight. But how do they get people of influence and money, businesses and boosters? How do they get them more involved from the York County, Rock Hill perspective? Because there is money there now. Those people are spending a lot of money at Clemson and South Carolina. So how do you? Um, how do you get involved with those people? And and you and I have talked about this for well, 15 I, years. It needs to be they, – they, the marketing has to be this is your hometown school. And I know Jason Capel, who's a good friend of ours, who was the, in charge of marketing when we got there, he was kind of down that path. And then you know he went on and got promoted and, and uh, got an, a better job at App State and has moved around. But they need a consistent message, and they need to get a buy-in from the community – you know the the car dealers, the restaurants. That is how Winthrop is going to stay um, profitable and marketable on the NAL side. But the community's got to buy in. They got to they, they have to ha- have the right athletic director, the right staff to make those things happen. All right, let me frame the question a little bit differently. If Winthrop cannot compete with the true mid majors, the the Murray States, the Belmonts, that that sort of school, but NIL does not take over. High Point, Gardner-Webb, Radford, does it matter? Because as much as we can look at the Rock Hill community and say they don't have, or at least Winthrop doesn't have the deep pockets to offer lucrative NIL deals, keeping a guy like DJ Burns might not be possible. So long as UNC Asheville and Longwood doesn't have that, does it matter? It does if you want to play in the second weekend of the tournament. I and, agree with you. I think, and no team in the Big South has ever done except that. Winthrop, right? No, no, Winthrop won. Well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, game. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Playing into the um, the, the playing into game. Sunday, yes. Playing into the second weekend, no. You're correct. That's right. I mean, so so maybe, and, and who knows what's going to happen with the NCAA? Maybe the Power Five are going to break away. I mean, I, yeah. I have no sense of that. But so long as the tournament is structured as is, while it is annoying that the schools that maybe you used to play against and recruit against are doing things differently now. We've already seen that. Once upon a time, Davidson was in the Southern Conference, Winthrop was in the Big South, and they would play home and homes. At this stage in the game, 
Davidson's playing in a much higher mm-hmm. league. If Winthrop's going to play Davidson, Davidson's going to have to cut them a big check right. to play that game. So Unless they do what I have been forecasting for years, not forecasting, but advocating for years. And I actually said this to somebody at the Big South Tournament, and I think it was Paul Biancardi, and he's like, yeah, but, but it, it's got to be more of a North Carolina thing. I'm thinking, no, this has to be a Charlotte area situation, kind of like the bean pot where you have four schools and you do a tournament every year. And now with Queens getting elevated to the A-Sun, you could have Queens, Charlotte, Winthrop, and Davidson play. Now, this will probably never happen, but I think it would be great for basketball in this area. Who would go? Well, I think if you do it right, Dave, I think – now, I would do it at Bojangles Coliseum to start out. Okay. Um, and I think you would do – you have to have good expectations, and you'd um, you'd probably have to have help from – I'll tell you the, the way you can make that work. The visitors. Well, how you can make that work. Charlotte and Davidson already play every year. Right. You just piggyback. Winthrop and Queens play the back end of the doubleheader. You've already rented out the facility. Yeah. The, the Davidson and the Charlotte fans remain the same as they've been for however right. long, and you squeeze in a second yeah. game. Does that do anything for you? Um, I mean, if that's to get it started, yes. But eventually I'd like it to be some sort of a round robin where the, the, you know there's like, like the bean pot. I think that's – because this is a basketball area. People love college basketball. Now maybe the other way to do it is to make it a full like full team event. Did you think the Big South tournament was successful? I I don't know what the numbers were. I thought it I thought it went pretty well. I have a hard time imagining, and no one's told me this. I have no idea that they made more money off a neutral site event where they had to rent out the facility. Well, I don't know what the rent like. I don't oh, know. Neither what, do I. And I don't even know if they had to rent it out. Well, I, I don't either. I'm sure but, there was some but something. If you played it on Longwood's campus, they were the number right. one seed then none of the revenue, whether it's concessions, parking, or tickets, goes to anybody else. I mean, I that happens no matter what. Like, when Winthrop hosts the Big South Tournament. Exactly. I, I think they do get some cut, but it's but not. But at, at a neutral site, there has to be something for the neutral site. I, I don't know if it's parking, concessions, yeah. tickets, a rental fee. I mean, I, they have to get something out of it. And I didn't see, I, I forget what the, do you remember what the attendance was for the championship game? I, I don't remember seeing. Yeah. I mean, the facility seats how many? I think 6,000. I think it's more than that. Maybe eight, it's bigger than the Winter Coliseum. Yeah. And it was 25% full? Yeah. Something like that? Right. I, I, I mean, it, it's an interesting uh, topic to discuss. We obviously are light on a lot of those numbers. Yeah. But do, do you look at college basketball and do you look at Winthrop's situation right now the same way you did when we got to Rock Hill or differently? And if it's differently, how so? Well, I think the big difference now is player movement. And I think you asked me before. like, And is that necessarily a bad thing? Well, it, de- it, it, it depends on how coaching staffs are able to navigate because if you're able to get um, – and again, it depends on your goals. If you're just looking to win the conference tournament, Absolutely, yes. I think it's probably the same. I think if your goal is to play on Sunday of the first weekend or to get into the second weekend, then it's how are you navigating the portal? How are you getting guys that are falling through the cracks? How are you getting guys that actually want to come that are that are that are because you know this. I mean, you have to have two or three players that are better that are not Big South quality, right? That are guys that are at a higher level. So how do you do that? And um and that's gonna be the question. Now I think what's interesting about the the transfer portal is I think it can work below too. I mean there there are we've seen some guys Chandler Vaudrin comes to mind, you know, a guy that played Division Two, um, that maybe was overlooked, developed at the Division Two level, 
has some ability to play Division One. If you can find a combination of that guy, a guy that maybe was sitting on the bench at a Power Five school and wants to go somewhere where he can win, you know, I think that's how you navigate to get to that the next weekend, get those, um, you know. But it it's it's to me, it's almost like free agency at the college level. So you don't look at it negatively; you just look at it differently. Right. Well, it, it it's only negative. I mean, it's negative if you if you can't figure it out. Right. If you don't get to put on more championship rings, then it's a negative. Well, no. It, well, in other words, if um, coaches, it, it's exactly what we're talking about here with the ABS, right? A lot of coaches are concerned. Coach K doesn't want to talk to, uh, or John Calipari doesn't want to talk to any player in the portal who, who who brings up NIL. I get that, but but it's the ABS. It's the it's the pitch clock. That's the rule now. Right. And the coaches Different that game. the coaches that can adapt to that. You know, one of the things that I found interesting going into last season was um, in talking to Winthrop coach Mark Prosser, and he has said this, so this isn't off-the-record stuff, but he's like, I love it, you know, because you can recruit guys. You know, basically what happens is if you're in the portal, that means, and it doesn't have to be personal, but there's something. I don't something, know that he loves it after DJ left. No, but <laughs> but I, DJ was a different animal, though. Like, DJ, um DJ, for folks that don't know what we're talking about, DJ Burns played at Tennessee for one year. It didn't work out with Rick Barnes, and then his he was, uh, you know, he went to Winthrop camps as a kid, going in high school, went to team camps. So very familiar with Winthrop and the university, and an opportunity for um, him to maybe grow and mature close to his close to his parents. That DJ is like the, the that's a one in a million. I mean, it's the highest recruit ever coming to Winthrop. I mean, four star, you know. So. To me, it's how you navigate, how you learn the system, and how you can make the system work for you. And you know, when Pross said that you know he liked the idea of that, I think it's when you have something to sell. Winthrop has something to sell. If they and I think now they need community support and they need a, a strong, you know, the new president coming in. It's got to make a, a the correct hire on an athletic director to navigate all this stuff. And um, you know, I think it can be it can be successful. But you know, it gets a, it's it's not going to be easy. I mean the. The roadmap is simple. The execution is going to be the hard part. This is the Bearded Carcast with Mike Pacheco. I'm Dave Friedman. Thanks for joining us. We're in our kind of off-season mode, so maybe once a month or so we yeah. have this conversation. We catch up on a lot of topics. Some quick hitters and another one related to Winthrop. Xavier Cooks apparently oh, had yeah. just an amazing season in Australia. Yeah. And um, I think he had a double-double MVP of the championship game. Uh, and I think they had a player out, so um, they were a, a man down, if you will. He, he was so terrific, and you know we got to know him a little bit. Um, I'm just so happy for his success. And I am told off the record by someone that I think knows that he had an opportunity to have one of those NBA COVID contracts mm. where guys were coming in for a few days here, a few days there. But in order to sign it, he, he was going to have to forfeit the rest of his oh, contract right. in Australia. He is about as close as Winthrop has had to an NBA player. And obviously, I don't know if he would be an impact player. I don't even know if he would yeah. stick on a roster. But to to see where he was at Winthrop and where he is now, it's not a fair comparison to go 15 years later and say, wow, the, the career Mike Jenkins put together w was really incredible. But he clearly has dedicated himself, taken some real steps and it'll be interesting to follow him over the next several years. And and Mike Jenkins, I mean, if he was a, 
a senior now at Winthrop, he might have an opportunity to play in the NBA. You know, the, the way he can well, shoot it. He, and, and maybe he would have gone overseas and then yeah. come back. Right, but right. but it, it, it's or a better shot at the NBA. Yeah, and it, it's no, great it's, to see. It is great to see. It's great to see for for Xavier Cooks. Um, have you have you watched any NBA or NHL playoffs? Have you gotten into either? You do know that the Celtics and the Bruins are playing, right? It's it's true. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we actually, um, during our spring break trip, we went to the game two of the Celtics and um, Brooklyn Nets. They were behind. It was after the first game at the Garden where uh, Kyrie had got into it with some Celtics fans. So every time he touched the ball, people were booing. John loved it. We had a great time. Uh, we've, we've been watching. Um, we, now, we've been focused on the Celtics and the Bruins. Uh, the Saturday of that week... Uh, it was a regular season game, and we saw the Bruins beat the Rangers. Um, that was fun as well. Our seats were a little bit higher, but as I explained to people, uh, you know, we kind of blew the budget on playoff tickets. So, <laughs> well, if you're going to spend on one or the other, right, go to uh, the playoffs. And game. then we went to a baseball game on Thursday, so it was a fun trip. But you know, I've been, um, and it's funny because uh, you know, watching as much basketball, um, college basketball as I have with you, and particularly Winthrop, um, you know, the Celtics, I, I would say. Not identical, but there's a little bit, you know, they, they, they want to shoot the three. I mean, it's a little bit like what Winthrop wants to do. So it's funny, anytime the Celtics um, either had a, a, a long rebound or a steal, I'm, I'm doing the waving motion, like, okay, let's run yeah, it, let's get it up the floor. Yeah, get it up the floor, let's go. Yeah. Uh, the, I love the Celtics. I mean, I love how they've been playing. Um, the level of play in the NBA is extraordinary. Oh, it's terrific. I mean, yeah. I love college basketball. I always have. There was a period where I didn't watch a whole lot of the NBA. It was kind of a slog. Right. Boy, we have left that period of time. Really, since the Warriors got good, some of those Spurs teams, they space, they race up and down the court. Right. They play a high IQ game. It doesn't matter if you have a big guy like Philadelphia or Denver do, or you play four or five guards. The the fluidity and the level of play, uh, or Milwaukee obviously is a great big guy. It it's it's a tremendous product. And 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 this can be a, a, a positive and a negative, or a negative and or depending on how you look at it. Um, but you could be down twenty points going into the fourth quarter and still win the game. You know, it's so funny. I'm at the national championship game with my dad watching Kansas and North Carolina. And the game is nearing halftime, and it's a 16-point game. And I go, I mean, it's not over, but I go, in all the years at Winthrop, I bet I've seen them overcome or blow a deficit this big only three or three, four, four or five times. Like, it just, it just doesn't happen. And then, obviously, it's the greatest comeback in the history of the national championship yeah. game. And my dad says, golly, in the NBA, that happens all the time. <laughs> and, and it does. It's, it does. It's yeah. two completely different two sports. Two different games. Two different sports. And, you know, the, the, you know, the basketball IQ is different. The ability is different. The shooting is different. The defense, um, you know, like when – and that, the thing about the Celtics was, like, their defense was ridiculously good uh, when we were – and it's been good all year, but in that game, too – down the stretch, um, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have taken over games. And Al um, Horford the other Al night Horford, was so oh, good. Terrific. It, so much of it is about fit because Al Horford is probably overpaid, and I understand, you know. I mean, he probably shouldn't have left Boston. I mean, that was right, arguably. Right. Yeah. 
but but to bring him back, even though he's overpaid, you dump the guy that didn't fit in the system. You right. got a guy that does fit in the system, and all of a sudden you're just so much better. You're so much better, and they're um, you know, in, in their series with the we were we didn't watch the we. We listen. We were in the car, so we listened to the the end of the game on Saturday, and you know they um, they were kind of out of that game. Came back in fourth quarter and had a chance to win at the end. They just um, you know the put back at the end by Horford was just like a second, literally a second too late to you know send the game into overtime. But they've been fun to watch. I know um, what I've seen a little bit of the other series. Um, you know John Morant is is great to watch. Steph Curry obviously so. Um, the hockey's been good too. I mean, the the uh, it seems like nobody really likes the Hurricanes unless you're in. Carolina. I haven't got into the hockey a ton, and I'll tell you exactly why. Because hockey was supposed to take off time for the Olympics, mm. and then they didn't end up yeah. sending the players to the Olympics, but they had some COVID problems, and the postseason got pushed back a couple of weeks behind the NBA. I got so into the NBA, yeah, every time. night yeah. I want to watch NBA yeah. games, and I haven't gotten yeah. into the hockey. I know that the level sense. of play yeah. is great. They just kind of beat them to the punch. Now, I, I know we're nearing the end of this Bearded Carcast, so this is really a test to see who is still listening <laughs> or not. But um, have you decided how much we should offer Tom Brady to join us? Oh, yeah. Well, you know... Poor guy can't catch a break. No I mean, kidding. Um, it's funny. We were talking about this the other day or yesterday um, in the booth on the on the night's broadcast. And, uh, you know, his deal is a little bit different because I think he's going to – now, he's getting paid, obviously, to, to be the number one analyst. There's some other opportunities for him to help out promotionally and, and on the business I side. I think that's a huge piece I of it. I think that's a big piece of it, too. I do. I do. Um but I mean, he's like the golden goose, man. Like, if you wanted Tom Brady to do a commercial for you, I I don't know what it would cost, right? <sighs> well, he's doing a commercial for Fox now. Once yeah. he retires, right. eighteen times a year. Well, he's sort but you of know what they're going to a... do. They're like they're they're going to roll him out on Fifth Avenue. No question. And, like, I mean, he's going to be hobnobbing with. You know, but, it's funny because Romo. Romo's kind of he and Aikman are at the top of the game, right? And now Tom Brady's in there too. And and they still are in that stratosphere. But Tom Brady's going to be walking into CEOs to try and get companies to spend money on Fox. No question. If you wanted Tom Brady to do a billboard, it would be very expensive. Yeah. If you wanted Tom Brady to do a television commercial, it would be very expensive. What they're paying Tom Brady for is all of that. I mean, they're paying him a, a, a unbelievable amount of money, but he is now essentially a Fox spokesperson. Do you remember, and, and the, the money isn't going to make sense to what my argument is, but the the thought process, I think, is the same. Remember in the like mid '90s, when the Indians were one of the first teams to start spending more money on the younger players, so that yeah. the, the, to hold off the arbitration. Jim Tomey. This is a little bit like that, except it's a different financial structure. Because if Tom Brady retired, let's say he retired after this season and went onto the open market, it would be an all-out bidding war. Yep. Yeah. I, I, exactly. I just, to me though. It's not a broadcasting deal. When you frame it as he's getting paid $35 million, $38 million, whatever it is, to broadcast 18 games, you're completely and utterly missing the point. Because if Rolex wanted Tom Brady to be their spokesperson, he would cost a huge amount of money. He is Fox's um, mascot. Yeah. He he is you know they they lost. Wouldn't it be great if we could uh, get a Ouija board and get Howard Cosell's thoughts on this? <laughs> <laughs> the jockocracy. Yeah, let's wrap this up. Uh, anything else? Kentucky Derby was fun. Derby was great. 
Final Four was great. I am uh, interested to see how Winthrop's roster yep. comes together, how the schedule comes together. Loving the NBA playoffs. Haven't watched any baseball, but I'm very encouraged by, by what's coming uh, to baseball. All right, well, uh, stay tuned. Follow us at Bearded Carcast. Dave is at uh, Friedman underscore Dave. I am at, at Mike Pacheco 81 Those are both our Twitter handles. At Bearded Carcast on Twitter, beardedcarcast at outlook.com is how you get a hold of us. And thanks for listening to listener-supported Bearded Carcast. It is 5GMT.